This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? And with that said, hi, everybody. Welcome to the rebirth of Catch and Shoot. It is Catch and Shoot 2.0. My name is Aaron Berlin, and in a matter of moments, I'm going to introduce you to my co-host who's going to join me on this journey. His name is Otto Strong, but first, I wanted to give you just a quick rundown about who I am, why I'm important, and why you should listen to this show. You know, for the last five years, I've worked in the NBA covering the Orlando Magic, Uh, So I have a good background there, kind of just give you a little bit of knowledge about what's going on with this show, where we're going. And with that said, I want to go ahead and welcome in Otto. Otto, how's it going, my man? And if you want to, just kind of introduce yourself to the audience and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing, Aaron. First off, pleasure to be here. I love being part of anything that's Uh, (laughs) 2.0. I'm someone who's been a journalist for the last, (laughs) someone who's been a journalist for the last 25 years, worked newspapers, worked magazine, uh, spent about 12 years at ESPN, about uh, 10 of those with the magazine, working in the NBA department. Uh, so just really looking forward to having, uh, having a good time talking hoops and cutting up with everybody. I was going to say, before we go on, what gets you most excited about the NBA season, about NBA basketball in general? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, this this season, I'd have to say I'd have to say parody. I mean, they're, they're, I feel like there are good games on every night. Um, I'm a New Yorker, so you'll excuse me for for the whole you know, Knicks thing. It's uh, you know not my fault, I promise. But uh, uh, but, you know, anywhere you look, uh, there's obviously great, you know, great matchups. Uh, and that's if and that's with a ton of guys who are who are who are uh, who are not, you know, who are hurt. Um, but I'm sure you're feeling the feeling the same way. I know you're down there in Orlando and I think you're good. You're going to be seeing the Lakers in, uh, in a few hours. Yeah, you, you know, they actually come in tonight, so it's going to be something that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and especially with kind of an Orlando team that's bidding for really probably that seventh and eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's going to be fun to watch their journey. But, you know, just for me, from the NBA perspective, you know, I grew up a college basketball fan, didn't watch a lot of NBA basketball, and so I really started to cover it. But for me, you know, the most exciting thing about following this league, and I think one thing we're going to have a lot of fun on this show with, is talking personalities talking just kind of the drama that unfolds throughout the course of the season and then just some of the oddities that happen on a night-to-night basis and I think that's going to be something that people can really enjoy this version of Catch and Shoot 2.0 and just some of the things that we're going to be able to deliver just with our knowledge from the league the players that we have covered the players that we have spoken to and some of the people that we are going to have on this show. Absolutely. I love offbeat stuff. I love looking at things that don't get a lot of attention. Uh, some things that, you know, aren't, aren't exactly uh, in the zeitgeist. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to uh, having those types of conversations with you guys. 
Okay, so we're at a point in the season now where uh, about a quarter of the way through the season, we've got the Lakers and the Bucks on the top of their respective conferences. Both teams are 21 and three. And I think at this point, people are starting to look at uh, uh, Thursday, December 19th. That's the first time these two teams will face off. It'll be a TNT game out in Milwaukee. So, uh, Aaron, what are you what are you seeing for this game? What do you what do you think? Is it, is it too much hype at this point or, or not enough? No, so I think that's one of the great things about the NBA schedule is it kind of presents us with these type of matchups, either at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, and a little bit right after the gate of the All-Star. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting about this is I think we entered this season talking about the Lakers and that they would be good, but I think there was a clear-cut number one in the Western Conference when everyone just kind of looked at the Clippers and what they were looking to do. You know, when you look at a Clippers team now that's 18 and 7, I think Kawhi's only played in about 18 of those games. The conversation has shifted to where I think most people expect the Lakers now to come out of the Western Conference. I don't know if I feel that way just yet, but I think perhaps the most intriguing thing about this, Otto, and I'm interested to get your take, is just how fast, one, LeBron and AD have meshed together, and two, just how comfortable that Lakers team looks night in and night out. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about LeBron. I mean, uh, obviously, tremendous talent goes without saying, but I mean, the guy can play with, with just about anybody. And I think that, you know, that has bared out, you know, over the years. Uh, I think ADs clearly, you know, um, having having you know, not had winning seasons for, for some time is clearly looking to um, for, for this to be the, the start of a, a rebirth of his career, so to speak. So, I, you know, I think those two guys, you know, know what's at stake. They know that this is the moment. This is the opportunity. Uh, and they're going to look to do all that they can to, uh, to make it work. Does it surprise you that they look like they're having fun together? I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like, you know, you look at a LeBron-led team, and whether it was in Cleveland, which is kind of the pressure that they had there, but then just last year's Lakers rendition. I mean, it looked like nobody had fun on that team, and maybe because it was a team that wasn't going to make the NBA playoffs. You know, LeBron didn't really play much after Christmas. I think he played a few games right before the end of the season. But at no point in time did that team ever look like they were enjoying themselves. This team looks like, from the second they stepped foot on the Staples Center floor, that they were ready to go, that they were excited about the possibilities of the season. And for once, it looks like a team led by LeBron is actually having fun. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, to your point, it was that Christmas Day game where, you know, you, you thought, uh, you know, could the Lakers do this? It was, you know, obviously, you know, early season playing, playing the Warriors, the Warriors were still kind of the Warriors. Uh, and you thought that, well, maybe they could pull this off and then LeBron gets hurt and the wheels kind of fall off sh- shortly after that. And um, to your point about pressures earlier in his career, Cleveland um, in Miami, there was always that expectation uh, and he's certainly you know, turned back the hands of time and looks like he's a, you know, a kid again out there in many respects. Um, yeah. You know, to, to me, one thing that's kind of surprising is, you know, on the other side of this coin is the Milwaukee Bucks, 21 and three. I think they've won each of their last 15 games. And it's it's a different constructed roster, you know, from what you have in Los Angeles. You know, in Los Angeles, it's clear it's. LeBron, it's AD, and it's Kuzma, and a band of misfit toys, kind of, but it seems like they're all meshing together. In Milwaukee, it's really Giannis, it's Middleton, and what they have done. And, you know, I I think Giannis said the other day that he goes, you know, my first year in the league when I was a rookie, we won 15 games that entire calendar year. Now we've reeled off 15 straight. What is the most impressive thing to you about what the Bucs have done and just kind of the chemistry that they have? 
I, I would say it's their depth. I mean, uh, you know, looking at uh, coat the game the other night. I mean, uh, you know, guys like DiVincenzo, um, you know, George Hill, Kyle Corver coming off the bench. You know, Lopez is. I mean, they, they've got just incredible depth, and they're so tenacious. Um, Which, by I the way, not... how, how much did Lopez change that team last year? Oh my God, um, he, he I mean, changed everything about what they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, you got a seven footer who could knock down threes somewhat consistently. Um, you know, he's just he's just a force to be reckoned with, and you know, um, just I I'll just love watching them play, and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, you know, how they keep going um, you know through the season. Would you say at this point they're the clear cut favorite out of, out of the Eastern Conference? I think so. I mean, you know, 15 straight, I, I think they're going to be, uh, I think it's going to be really, really tough for any team to, uh, you know, take them down four out of seven. Um, yeah, I, I just can't, Boston, sure, maybe there at the end, Philly, uh, I think Toronto's probably going to fade, but I think Milwaukee is, is you know, I think they're the real deal in the East, and it's just going to be the showdown, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, LA, Lakers, or Clippers um, come come June, at least that's how I'm seeing it at this point. Well, Otto, that's kind of the amazing thing. You know, we were talking offline about this, but, you know, I don't think there's any other sport that you can really sit here and say in the middle of the calendar year that we probably have an idea of what the finals matchup is going to be, right? Like, I mean, theoretically, things could play out, and the Clippers, once they mesh and once George is, I mean, George is back, but once they fully had some time to actually play together and learn and play to each other's strengths and weaknesses. But I don't know if we've sat here in, in mid-December besides, you know, those Warriors and Cavs matchups that we had, uh, what was it, four straight times where right. – we had a clear, distinct idea of who the top two teams were this early. And to me, you know, I look at it and I say, I don't know if it's great for the league. I think some people love dynasties and they love knowing that two Titans are on some kind of a collision course. Uh, Do you think that's good for the NBA schedule, especially, you know, kind of an NBA right now that ratings wise is down to have two distinct powers like they do right now? Uh, I I think, I I think it's great. I mean, you know, you've got two squads that are, haven't really had, uh, tasting success year in year out. Obviously, Milwaukee got deep last year, and the Lakers were were no man's land by you know by the by the time it thought up here in uh, in Connecticut. But um, you know, I, I, it's it's a very different uh, dynamic with regard to you know pro basketball when you compare, um, say, look at the NFL. Um, a third of the way through the season, people aren't talking about Super Bowl matchups, or at least that's not really what you know drives the conversation week to week. Um, baseball, two months into the season, you're, you're not having a whole bunch of people getting amped for the World Series. But with NBA, it's just a, kind of a different animal, and it's great to, to you know to kind of play what if um, around this time of year. We're looking at the big Christmas Day games. We're looking at the big contests that are coming up. And it's just really exciting and a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, I don't mind um, spinning wheels and talking about what might happen in June. You know, it's interesting. We've sat here and talked about the Lakers and you kind of spoke about it at the top of the show is, you know, the Lakers are actually in town tonight. They will play Orlando. And Otto, one of the things I was really thinking about is, you know, I don't know if in any other sport we put more emphasis on a superstar's return uh, to maybe where they got their career started to where they kind of made their names for themselves. And when you look at it, this is kind of a week of returns. You know, you had Paul George going back to Indiana for the third time on I think it was Saturday you have Kawhi who's going to play in Toronto tonight and probably get his ring and then you also have Dwight Howard who you know he's seven years removed from his time in Orlando but still it's a big deal every time he comes back to the Amway Center 
what what is it about the NBA and specifically when players come back to where they made their names or where they started their career that we hang on to so much? And, you know, for me, do we put too much emphasis on it as fans and do maybe players put too much emphasis on it, too? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and added to that list before I respond, uh, you got uh, the, the Lakers going to Miami on Friday. So that becomes another return game for LeBron and going back to uh, to, uh, you know, to the heat, to the heat. Um, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I was looking at it over time. You had return games, you know, for different reasons. I mean, sometimes it's uh, retirement and then, you know, returning from that. And, you know, other times it's, it's trades. But, uh, you know, some of the more epic ones from the from the past, you had Michael Jordan. Uh, KG, you know, Barkley, those guys were warmly received. Um, Iverson, I mean, that's, hey, so that's the funny thing. In a city that's known, you know, for their fans to be kind of, you know, crazy and, and all and just bonkers, some of the warmest, nicest returns were for Iverson and Barkley. It's just kind of, a, yeah. you know, interesting aside for, for Philly fans. But, you know, and then you look at the more recent ones, um, you know, obviously LeBron going back to Cleveland, um, you know, KD, going back to OKC and, you know, cupcake signs all over the place. Um, and, you know, and Carl Malone getting, um, you know, getting a, a, a smattering of booze or, or, you know, more than a smattering of booze. Um, so, you know, look, you love to see the passion. You love to see, you know, fans, you know, you know have skin in the game and being invested um, in what happens on the floor. Um, obviously, no one wants to take it, see it go to a point where, you know, people are getting hurt and, and, and being threatened and things like that. And that's, you know, fortunately not what we're seeing. But well, uh, but, I, I was just going to say, you know, some of the biggest ones here in Orlando was when Shaq returned in 98. He didn't play that first year in L.A. because of the shortened season, but he returned the next season that he was here. And, you know, just booze rained down. And I think the NBA, to an extent, ha- has changed a little bit from, you know, over the last 22 years, you know, when Shaq made that return, it was much more, I felt, about fans following teams and being invested in what their team was trying to build. Now, so it's more about fans being invested in players and about how they can win championships. But to me, the only way that a player is ever received well when they go back somewhere seems to be you've got to win us a championship. And so that's why I think, you know, by the time this probably airs tomorrow, it's, it's going to be for what it is because Kawhi will have played in Toronto. But the only way to get a warm reception and a good clean break from a team, it seems anymore is to win them a championship. And to me, that should not be the standard. You know, I look at it as players invest four, eight years, depending on where their second contract is in a city that they had no choice of where they were going to go. You know, I don't fault guys like Dwight or Shaq for leaving Orlando for bigger markets and for wanting to, at that time, you know, because there was no social media to kind of exploit their brand for what it could be. It's different now, and I fully understand that. And I'm just interested what your take on that is because, you know, you've watched the NBA for 20-some-odd years. You've watched these players grow. How much has that changed with players, you know, like a guy who we were talking about in the last segment and Giannis being okay staying in Milwaukee because players will go there now because they can win a championship? Well, uh, first off, I I certainly endorse, you know, players making moves and, and uh, they look, they decide they want to stay. They want to stay. That's fine. They want to go. That That's fine, too. I mean, you had, uh, you know, a Lillard, uh, you know, just just state, uh, I think, within the last 24 hours that he intends to, you know, be a trailblazer for life. And that's great. But at the same time, I have no problem with fans, you know, you know, getting on getting on players and, and you know, getting a little vocal um, and expressing their their displeasure. Um, 
and yes, it's it's you know it has become about the title. So you know we, we can't we can't run away from that. But uh, you know most clubs obviously are not going to win a title, and and you know those those clubs, you know whether it's about titles or not, they they you know they're going to let it be known that uh, they you know may not be may not be ecstatic with with the choice that the guy made, and like I don't have a problem with with uh, with folks um, going down that road. Do you think maybe sometimes the players play too much into it too? You know, Paul George this past week in, in Indiana, it was the third time that he'd been back there, but he said he was okay playing the villain in that situation. And that later, uh, whether it's he was going to finally tell his side of the story about things that happened with that front office, but at, at some point do players need to let it go too? Sure. It would help if Paul George just kind of, you know, came out and played the game and didn't, and didn't, uh, didn't involve himself with all that. But, you know, players are, are, you know, have emotions as well. And they, like you said, uh, fans uh, and players have invested a long time in, uh, in, in, you know, in playing for their, you know, for their clubs. And so you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to feel what they feel. Okay. Real quick. Let's, let's wrap it up on this one, just cause I'm interested in what your take is. Uh, what personal return story has been the most exciting for you to cover as an NBA journalist? Hmm. Um, whew, that's a good. One. I mean, it would have to be. It would have to be LeBron. Um, I mean, so you know, quick, quick aside. Uh, you know, in 2010, the uh, the magazine was doing a an NBA preview, and uh, Disney had just previously paired, paired up with Marvel Comics, and so the 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 the, the what the what the preview was going to be was a series of comic book covers depicting the story of each team's season, um, and so for the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Marvel artists uh, saw uh, a storyline that they wanted to pay homage to, and that was um, Peter Parker putting his um, Spider-Man jersey in the trash, and the the Mar- the Marvel editors, uh, you know, in, in consultation with the ESPN uh, folk, uh, thought that a LeBron Cavs jersey in the trash kind of uh, met met the uh, uh, had a, had a certain similarity, shall we say? Um, and and the, the, the funny little aside here is that when people were talking about it, oh, well, that's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. I said, actually, no, it's guys. It's not the same thing. And they said, well, how could it not be not, not be the same thing? I said, well, Spider Man's jersey was not on fire, so that was <laughs> that was a, a long way of, of of getting around to saying that uh, you know uh, uh, you know the LeBron the LeBron return was was uh, was clearly you know one that uh, you know, one that we were all watching back in those days. How about you? You, you know, for me, uh, because I've, I've only really covered the league the last five years, but, you know, LeBron's return to Miami was an interesting one because from that it was uh, just kind of him coming back. And there's no way I can follow up the story that you just did because that was tremendous. That might be a top five story of all time that I've heard, Otto. But, you know, it was LeBron, a guy that had gone to Miami who had won championships there but had gone home. And it was almost kind of like this return of the prodigal son trying to do something for a small market franchise because at that time I was working for a small market franchise. And to see a player like that go back to his hometown and to do something that he set a goal to – uh, it, it was interesting to see the reaction from Miami fans at that moment that it was okay. You know, I think they were still upset, but they understood it. I don't know if from an Orlando perspective and from a Magic perspective, because of the way some of the breaks that they've done with Dwight, with Shaq, with even J.J. Redick, a player that they traded out, or with, you know, someone like Ryan Anderson, who is lo- so loved here. 
I've just never seen that kind of mutual respect between a franchise and a player that I saw there. It's time once again for that catch and shoot 2.0 favorite, old school, new school. Okay, so one of the things that, that, that we love uh, here uh, is is the the art of the step over. And uh, so for those folks, it's, you know, the player makes a move, you know, dunks on somebody and then in the ensuing walk back to the down the court. Uh, and what, what I'm struck by, or at least what the one that kind of still stands out in my mind after all these years is Allen Iverson in the NBA finals. Uh, obviously he's with Philly and he's, uh, you know, puts a move on Tyron Lue, uh, drains, drains the long distance too. And then right in front of the Lakers bench proceeds to step over a Tyron Lue who's on the ground, uh, more, it was actually more of a stomp over now, you know, now I'm thinking about it, um, and, uh, and head back down the court. And that one, all these years later is just epic. Well, uh, so, so Aaron, I was wondering if you had a, a one in your mind that you thought that, that uh, you know, more or more recently that that um, is up there. Well, you, you know, to me, this is this is going to sound weird and it, it's going to sound odd, the player that it came from. But do you remember last year in a game in New York? And I'm sure you do because, you know, you live in the New or near the New York City area uh, and you've covered this team before. But th- does the name Mario Hizonia? ring a bell to you and what he did to Giannis yes. last year, which was just so odd and yes. absurd. And that's the thing that, and that was what everybody talked about Mario Hizonia when he came into the league. But for people listening and for people who don't remember uh, last year, Mario Hizonia in a game against the Milwaukee Bucks. And this was kind of the same player who spurred this idea for this, but Mario Hizonia dunks on Giannis and then just steps over him authoritatively. And they were the only two points in that basketball game that Hizonia actually scored. But to do it against Giannis and to do it the way that he did and to get the post-game comments from Giannis that got from that, that was the one that probably spurred my mind. And then, you know, if you want to go on a bigger, grander scale and you're talking finals, but I think it has to be the LeBron over Dre, which eventually got Dre suspended for his fourth flagrant foul in the Cavs and Warriors series. That was the only Cavs series that they actually won. But, you know, for me, the thing is, and you've covered this game for so long, and I'm sure you have thoughts on this. I don't personally have a problem with the step over. And I've never understood why it's such a disrespectful thing, you know, and especially the one that happened last week between Blake and Giannis, it was more just like trying to get around someone, but you know, for you, for someone who's been around this game so long, what is so disrespectful about it? What is so wrong about it? Okay. For Aaron and all you millennials out there, you need to <laughs> Google, you need to Google Scotty Pippen and, and Patrick Ewing, New York Knicks, a playoff series. Um, we're going to, we're going to keep this PG 13, but when, when, Oh, oh, we can go R, we can go R. Well, when, when, when Pippen went over Ewing for, for a dunk, uh, the way that, that they both came down, um, Pippen was kind of straddling Ewing at the, at the kind of the knees and kind of kept walking forward. And so you can, you know, let your, let your mind wander with, with what was in contact with Ewing's forehead and face. And so a lot of it kind of stems back to, to that kind of thing. You know, it's a disrespect. It's like me putting, I'm putting my manhood in your face, literally and figuratively. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of it kind of stems back to, to that kind of thing. And so, 
Um, you know, I look, I urge anybody with the sound of my voice, Jeff, definitely check it out because it's going to, it's going to put the step over in your, in, in a, in a kind of a different category in your mind. Once, once you see that one, I, I, I can just sit here and imagine everyone like furiously typing away on their phones, especially if you're like 18 or 19 years old and you're listening to this podcast, like when did that happen? What happened? Uh, and, and so. So that's not your favorite step over moment. You mentioned the AI over Lou in the 2001 finals. Would you say that Allen Iverson owns the step over and should trademark it? (laughs) Yeah, he look, Allen AI owns a lot of different things. I mean, you know, he kind of crossover is pretty dirty crossover. I mean, you know, the, the shorts, the hair, I mean, he just, there's so many aspects of what he brought to the game, the swagger that he brought. Um, the, the step over kind of encapsulates so much of of who he is and what he was about and what he could do to you, um, even though he was really the only threat on that team and you know damn near might have been one of the smallest guys on the team. But but he, um, heart of the heart of a lion, play like it and just going to let you know that you're, you're going to have to earn every bit of this. And um, he was coming at you. I was going to say that was the thing. You know, AI was not afraid to speak his mind or to kind of sit there and uh, be confrontational if he didn't like an idea or if he didn't like a topic, you know, or if he didn't agree with you, you you know, I think as our producer put in here, you go, he goes, you know, the practice comment, everybody remembers that we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. I don't know if there's any players in the league like that anymore that just speak with that much swagger and that much confidence, you you know, and for someone who follows the league now, I would think for someone who's covered the league for 20 plus years, like you have, that's got to be missed, right? Look, look, the league is in such a different place. I mean, it it was not all that long ago, or at least it doesn't seem all that long ago to me that you had players who were showing up uh, for games with, you know, jerseys and the the baggy jeans and, you know, like it or not, or a fan of it or not, you know, it, it caught certain people a certain kind of way. And you had, um, you know, the league and players wanting to kind of take things in a different direction. You started seeing guys wearing tailored suits. You started, you know, guys started talking about their brands. Obviously, social media was something that, that you know, became became a thing. <laughs> Obviously, still is a thing, going to be a thing forever now. Um, and so you, you have a lot of that. And I think the combination of all things is that, I mean, look, LeBron could could, you know, He's returning from practice, and then someone's someone's sticking a mic in his face, asking about about what's going on in China. Um, you, you know, it's just a, such a different spot now, where you've got to protect, you know, your your entity, your brand, um, and it's it, it's just a very different um, very different machine than it was even you know even say ten years ago. I love but, that we're, we're so buttoned up now, and you know we're so much we're so worried about an individual player's brand. And I do think it's unfair sometimes, like you mentioned, like LeBron goes to China, the Lakers go to China and they're the only ones that have microphones stuck in their face. And they're the only ones who have to answer questions like that. It's not the franchise, it's the players. And so it's weird to think just how different we are from, you know, Allen Iverson sitting at a press conference saying we're talking about practice to now players being asked about social issues, about political issues. And it's it's wild to think of how far the league has come. And it's a lot of fun to follow. And that's part of the reason we enjoy it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and that's that's also the reason, you know, if you were 
if you're a guy that's going to put yourself out there and you want, you know, have you know, a million followers or well beyond a million followers, you know, you're going to, you're going to get questions and you're going to, you're going to have mics put in your face about, about a whole range of things. And, you know, uh, talked about the Lakers being asked questions. The Lakers were not the only one who, only ones who were being asked questions. I mean, you know, Steve Kerr was kind of put on the hot seat a little bit. Uh, a number of other coaches and players, you know, stateside who never went over were put on blast. Um, but you know, again, that's that's part that's part of what you're accepting when you are, you know, a, a world-renowned athlete in 2020. I, I will say this, and I'll close on this. I think NBA athletes do such a good job of taking that mantle and running with it and being just kind of a spokesperson for younger players and people who follow them and understand that they are someone that people look up to. They are someone that kids look up to, and it's exciting. That has been Old School, New School. Just a reminder, we will do this each and every week. My name is Aaron Berlin. His name is Otto Strong. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Berlin. You can follow Otto at Otto Strong. And just a reminder, if you guys have anything that you want to toss in the show or if you want to be a part of it or if you have an idea just send us a message on twitter uh we'll get back to you and we'll see if we can get it in for next week Bruh. so first you had come on man and you also got checked on the fool and so now we're doing bruh so my bruh for the segment is carmelo anthony now some of you may have caught this uh it was it happened really quickly so but i'll, but I'll set the scene uh, last uh, Friday, the Lakers were playing at Portland, um, and Lillard fires an outlet pass down to a, a wide open Mello. It botches a layup, ball goes out of bounds, and instead of calling timeout, um, uh, Danny, Green, Danny Green quickly inbounds the ball and is stricken the other way. Meanwhile, Mello was trying to tie his shoe uh, when he's got his foot up on the stanchion, and the Lakers got a five on four, which leads to um, uh, a JaVale McGee bucket and an and one. So uh, with that, I know that Aaron has got something special. Simmons, it's for three. Got it! That's no big deal anymore. His second three of the season. Ben Simmons feeling good. He's got 21. So my bruh on a few of these. One, the announcer. Two, Ben Simmons. This So when this happened, this was a 30-point game. This was not a two-point game or a three-point game or a game-tying bucket. This was a game that had been decided in the final moments, and it seemed like they had just won either the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. You know, Ben Simmons, for everything that's been made, and he is a tremendous athlete. He is you know, kind of the engine behind Embiid that makes that Sixers team go. And his one real deficiency has been his inability to make three-point shots. In this moment, I just felt like there is a moment in time where you act like you've been there before, you know, like you act like you know what you are doing. And what I loved about what Ben Simmons did in this moment and give credit to him, he was very nonchalant. It looked like it was an in rhythm three. It looked like it was a shot that he had shot hundreds or thousands of times before, but everybody else reacted like it was some big defining moment. And I think, and my bruh for this is also Philly fans and 
people around the Sixers need to stop overanalyzing each and everything and putting too much pressure on their personnel. It happened with Markel Fultz, and you see him, not to keep relaying things back to Orlando, but he has kind of established himself now, and he is starting to regain confidence. And I think sometimes they put too much pressure on things like this. Let the guys have their moment. Let them do it in stride. They're professionals. And it does seem like Ben Simmons from the three-point line is starting to come along, and he's starting to gain confidence there. That was my bruh. That was my big moment, and it was something that I just sat there and, you know, for lack of a better word, the emoji, the shake my head one where you put your hand over it, that was what I did in that moment in time. And it just happens to always happen with Sixers fans, with anything revolving around the Sixers. They put too much pressure on these guys, and I think that's part of playing in that city. But it is what it is. And who doesn't want Ben Simmons shooting threes? I know I do. Hey, so that's it for our first episode. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is in the books with episode number one. Thanks to our producers, Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, and our great editor, Ben Wolfen. Please make sure to check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday with Mike's A-list guests and great stories. Monica McNutt has buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday with interesting people from all levels of hoop. And just a reminder that BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday with lots of bonus shows also thrown in. And just as a general reminder, Otto and I will be here each Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. If you like us, please subscribe. It's free. Also, if you like the show, leave a review, give us some feedback and tell your friends. And just a reminder, we are going to debut a segment next week called Ask Otto and Ask Aaron because this is an interactive show. We want you guys to engage with us. Uh, Submit us some questions on Twitter. My handle is at Aaron underscore Berlin. Otto's is at Otto Strong. We'll respond. We'll get them into the show and it should be a lot of fun. But until next week, guys, we'll see you. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.